Hello and welcome to the Starts One Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knudsen, and we're live. How goes it, Ted? It's great. I'm I'm so excited. Like we've we've been all over the world this week, and uh, we we now have brought it back to the internet. Yeah, this is probably we're probably not the first people to think of something like this to do, eh? But um, <laughs> it's good. We can record it. You can listen to back to it later if you want to, or if you get sick of us rambling on and hope that I'll edit it into some kind of shape. Which I may, will, probably will. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, I was like, James, we should do a live one. And and he's like, um, that sounds like something new. And as all of you who have listened to this podcast for a long time know, James is a big fan of change. I yeah, I'm actually quite impressed that you, you had the technical fortitude uh, to solve this problem and get it out there because I was lost. So there's two things going on here. One thing is that I was a, a brief Twitch streamer uh, really? many, many years ago, goofing around with Magic the Gathering. Oh, no. Tiago's telling us the screen is black. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen. We can live with the screen being black. Because, okay. Know, that's the podcast. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, yes. So I, I did that once upon a time. And then, as you mentioned, the last time that we did... Uh, <laughs> anything online i was like i think ben and i did a a, a mid-season premier league draft and we did it via youtube and you're it's like, still well, on youtube recent. i think it's still on youtube <laughs> it's at least five years old but it is still on youtube you can find sure. it i'm sure there's some terrible picks on there i can't remember who you picked but i have i have seen it yeah that lots of people <laughs> were arguing on there <laughs> well we can go for our slides anyway because this this will this will dictate you know what we're doing you don't need to see them there's not much information on there it's just a little bit of a pretty accompaniment uh that was uh uh, designed to go through there. People have asked a few questions, um, and we've cherry picked them and discarded all the terrible ones. So that's most of them. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see where we go. We'll try not to talk too much about coronavirus. I think that's a good idea. Ted, do you do, do you disagree? You're welcome to an opinion. I make no promises. No promises whatsoever. You are you are quite passionate about this subject, as we all are. You know, tough times. But we'll we'll get to that as and when. I think. We could go through these questions. Do you want to do that? I mean, we've got a few people listening, so we can we can wind this up and see where we end up. Shall we start with the questions? Uh yeah, sure. Let's uh let's start with the questions, James York. Right, well the first first one <laughs> first one, someone asked, is data analysis more effective for recruitment or tactical work, i.e. directly improving performance on the pitch? I think this is quite an interesting question because people have different differing opinions here. Would you like to step in, Ted, with your opinion? I think the the clearest the clearest way that I, I've heard is is basically uh, Ian Graham, you know, summarizing at the Barcelona conference that we were at where basically he was talking about the concept of marginal gains and how <laughs> how that might be true in sports that are mostly solved, but in fact, like this is not at all solved. This is uh, this, we're still at the very cusp of it, and marginal gains doesn't really apply, especially when you know, recruitment is uh, yeah, sorry, especially when recruitment is it's not it's not anywhere near optimal, and it's also the the biggest. Uh, cost center, it's the biggest um, sort of set of fees, transfer fees, all of that has just this enormous impact on football. And so it's certainly data analysis has the biggest impact on recruitment, period. And recruitment has the biggest impact on on the football team as a whole, especially on the budget. Now that said, like the tactical stuff and what happens on the pitch is, you know, extremely important. And I think 
<laughs> one of the things that we talk about is like recruitment is getting a little bit better, but the <laughs> yeah the the stuff that happens on the pitch and how we teach coaches and coaches understanding of what is and what is not optimal is by far like, it's, it's just so far behind like recruitment is, is at least a little bit of a clue and i think very few coaches across the world spectrum have a significant one now that's probably gonna get me in trouble but no no i mean i've, I've got a very clear idea on this i mean i, I think obviously the recruitment is the, the the one place that everyone immediately goes with stats it makes sense you can cover a lot of ground this is fine but i also think uh just using data as information as information about like what happens on the pitch i think mo- we have ideas about what we think happens on the pitch you can watch a lot of games you can watch your team every week you'll probably have really strong ideas about what players do and don't do but you can't watch every team every week uh, and data really does shortcut you into understanding what teams do so I think from an opposition analysis perspective and certainly learning about your own team if you're an analyst or even just a fan and interested I think data really shortcuts uh, shortcuts you into into all that and um, is a huge help um, and you know one of the reasons I, I like this question is because this relates to the course that we uh, we're launching uh, probably later this week uh, the introduction to analytics it's a course that we've run around the world uh, across the last year or so I wrote it uh, for the first uh, instance back in last March and uh, you know we've, we've uh, spoken to federations we've spoken uh, in North America we've spoken uh, in England where else have we done? I think that's everywhere <laughs> around and about um, but hey what, wait what did you we've definitely spoken to people <laughs> Not yeah, no. in England and, and North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to do this thing. I'm trying. I'm trying not to reveal any confidence. Oh, oh live sorry. On, Things live that we're allowed to do. Here. Yeah, exactly. Sorry so, about that. so you know, this this course has been around the place, and we've 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 talked quite a lot of people just to give them an introduction about how how we see uh, data and um, stats and analytics in general uh, can integrate into football processes. And this is it. They they're accompanying pro a company. Data and stats and analytics basically accompanies more traditional processes uh, very effectively, and um, that what the online course will be launched uh, towards the end of this week, and it kind of covers these aspects from a basic routine to give you a routine to that. So we did want to cover that because that's the you know the one kind of thing that we've got uh, coming uh, this this week. Um, but and we're going to post uh, tickets hopefully this week, maybe this weekend, uh, for my st- uh, set pieces seminar. It's going to take place every day at 3 p.m. UK uh, for a week. Uh, there will be a cost. And in fact, like I wanted to address that a little bit. People are like, well, you know, are, are you gonna release the, the course for free, the introductory course for free? And we normally charge about 125 pounds uh, for taking this course. Usually we teach it in person. Often there are travel costs associated with it. There's always venue costs. Sometimes the venue costs are very expensive. Yeah, lunch as well. <laughs> yeah, you used to. We're not giving you lunch today or or in the video course that we deliver. Uh, your sustenance will have to come from James's knowledge. Uh, but we we are still going to uh, we're gonna keep we do need to charge for this. And the reason why is you know we've always talked about don't do work for free. Uh, you know some of us kind of started that way in the early days and and learned about all of the the different types of, people in and around the community, like of clubs or agents or whatever that wanted you to do work for free and then maybe something will yeah. happen. And we pushed hard against that because it almost never works out. It's just somebody trying to take advantage of you. It's, I believe it's about three man months worth of time that we have spent on the introductory course alone. 
And so we're going to price it at 50 pounds each plus VAT. And I think that's a pretty fair amount. Uh, but, you know, if you if those of you who don't think that's fair, like definitely tell us. But we've got great feedback on it. And we've spent a ton of time, you know, not only building the course initially, but revising it over and over and then learning how to record it, <laughs> which has been an experience and uh, not always the, the easiest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, there was something else along the course. No, I don't remember. It was oh yes, James. Um, uh, you should tell people what happened to you earlier this week. That what that seems like this week. Just you know your your day, your day from. <laughs> I, had, I did have food poisoning, and then and then my daughter like popped her knee, uh, literally just by sitting on the sofa, and we ended up in a casualty, uh, in Hereford, which is near where I live, and it was it was ghostly quiet. They've they've kept all the riff raff out. Um, but yeah, the hospital was actually really quite quiet, which was interesting. And then a bird shot on my head, uh, so <laughs> it was just actually not my head. That's not true. It was on my arm, but it still shot on me. It, it with some on your head. with some intent. It's only in like the space of like forty eight hours. It's like, come on, I'm sitting at home. What, what trouble can you get at home? And I get food poisoning at home. You know, we've got more food than more food than Morrison's here. It's crazy. But anyway, so that was good. But anyway, that slightly delayed the recording of it. Uh, but it is it is all recorded now. And well, thank, thank you for persevering. I you know <laughs> do appreciate that, uh, especially with the, the I don't know if they're evil birds. Uh, you you seem to indicate that it it was evil intent from this bird. So are you monitoring how many people are, are, are listening? Because you know if, if we if we're droning on, we got we got to switch the subject. Let's switch the subject anyway because we're, we're this is quite close to. Um, <laughs> your, your favourite subject at the moment, the COVID crisis. Uh, but, but a couple of people asked things around the transfer market and COVID stuff, and I know you, you've you've got thoughts on this that you, some of which you may be interested in sharing. But someone asked, uh, what impacts do you think this will have on the future? This being the COVID crisis, uh, have on the future of the transfer market, short, mid term. And someone else said, do you think trades and swaps will start to become uh, to give more prominence in the in football transfers? And I don't think that was necessarily related to that, but it's certainly something you could you could conceive may uh, may well be part of it um yeah i don't know is there anything you'd like to talk about in relation to that ted so i produced a memo this week for customers only uh basically giving them not only the outline of how we think things will play out with regard to the transfer market but also um the reasons why a lot of analysis inside of that and then um maybe different plans of action depending on on the financial situation of your club and what type of club you are um you know if you're a buying club you're going to be i guess pretty happy um and if you're a selling club like you've got issues ahead and you might need to accept prices that do not normally seem like they're good because what's going to happen right now is a massive contraction in the football market um not only from a transfers perspective but also from uh, a wages perspective as well uh, it's not just the teams have lost and are potentially losing money from uh, games that have to be played behind closed doors. It's also that there are most of the football, mm, I don't know why I say most, a lot of the excess in football has been fueled by people with a whole bunch of money that are happy to, to pay for losses at football teams uh, around the world. And, you know, they don't mind they're overspending their their needs because, you know, it's a fun hobby for them. They like owning a football club. They like the competitive element of it. And what happens when all of those owners who have been footing significant losses across the entirety of football suddenly decide that they no longer 
can do that. Um, you know, they've lost something like a third of their stock portfolio. Uh, the oil nations look like they're going to have between 50 and 80 percent lower um, income from from petro dollars uh, this year. Like it is a massive shock to the transfer market. Yes, yeah, still articles being out there being written like you know 100 million bid for X Y Z, and it's like yeah, okay, well, that's fine. You want your you want your clicks, but. Um maybe stop and think a while before you uh, can start nominating these prices right now i don't know be interesting to see how it does move forward i think yeah i don't think that um i don't think i, I want to get into like full amount of detail on it because like we have saved that for for people that are customers and we've given them you know our our projections on where we expect things to go i do expect this to also last quite a long time and that's also true for the economy like i think you know people are talking about oh well this might just be a quick shock uh typically shocks to the economy of this degree go on and ripple for five to 10 years. Uh, it's not going to be something that I think is is going to come back quickly. Uh, there may be a lot of demand when we come back, but you know there also be entire businesses that have disappeared in that time and have no real prospects for resuscitation. Um, do I think trades and swaps will start to come more prominence in, in football transfers? That one's hard to say because in order for that to happen, you have to have... Uh, assets that both teams want to take on board and they're happy with the deal and everybody is an actor in this space and not only do the teams have to be happy with that that prospect but the players have to be happy with it too so you may see you know maybe an uptick because i think players are playing for euro spots and they they would have been doing that you know this uh this half year like they will be doing that next season but uh, it's it's hard to figure out like how the cooperation is going to work in those spaces. Right. Anyway, uh, questions. Right. So here we got another one. Uh, you see, I've I've teed these up for you basically entirely. But from a data stroke experiment angle, not financial, because the best way to make a small fortune in soccer is start with a large one. Would you like to own a club and put all your suggestions into practice? <laughs> uh, what's the answer to that, we- Ted? <laughs> Would you like to own a club and put all your suggestions into practice? I'll I'll just I'll, I'll just work for your club and help put your ideas into practice. That seems that seems logical. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know okay. what my suggestions are, but yeah, I think you know you you'd, you'd uh, quite happily quite happily run a club, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I think I probably would do that. Yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, this is a good question. I like this question. It's it's fun to think about. Um, <clears throat> The, the problem is you have to start with some amount of a fortune or somebody has to like give you a club to run. Um, <laughs> we have talked about this a little bit. Um, James and I talk about things, all sorts of things, but we talked a little bit about like what would be interesting. And you know, I, I've had some pretty reasonable sized job offers come through. Um, I, I've recused myself from, from everything in recent years because Statsbomb is doing really well. Uh, and also like there's a point at which like we have enough really strong ideas that we we need to not be interfered with and and it sounds somewhat arrogant but like having been inside of clubs i know how this works and having talked to a lot of people inside of clubs i also know how it works and so when you're at the point where you think you need to make pretty sweeping changes in the culture and how things work and the fact that you know coach training is not what it could be and if your best coaches like depending on where you're at so if you're manchester united you hire a great coach, they're going to stay, right? Like you've got enough money to keep them around. If you're like even a mid-tier Premier League club 
if you find a great coach, you get to keep that guy for like two to three years and then they're going to get scooped up by somebody else. Right. And so what you actually need to do is you need to prepare your club to be able to be resilient from losing a coaching staff you know, on a two to three year basis. You're gonna lose your best coaches. And then if you've got bad coaches, you're gonna suffer in performance, and you're gonna get rid of them quickly too. So like that's a, that's a problem that is not very solvable in most um, football environments right now. And it's true for player training as well. It's not super scientific. It's true for how you use data. It's true for like who you're hiring. I don't know, like I, there's just a lot of things that are suboptimal. Uh, and that goes all the way down to, you know, particular plays, uh, phases of play. Um, you know, we have ideas about how teams generally want to uh, defend. And, and that comes out of our research. And that research is something that is in the, the Statsbound course. Uh, but we also have, like, really strong ideas about stuff that nobody even touches still with regard to set pieces. And, and that's, that's one of the areas that I find fascinating. But it also, I know that we're only scratching the surface. Like, you can probably do that with attacked, um, sorry, tactical uh, attacking stuff as well. So... <clears throat> My perspective there is that, yes, I would like to probably own a club because that's the way that you kind of control the whole environment at some point. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that we're going to be gifted with the amount of money to ever be allowed to do that. Uh, the second one is a good one for you to answer, though, because it's if you were running a semi-pro team with limited resources, what one area would you measure and why? And I know you've thought about this. Well, I'd just like to uh, throw back to the first question quickly. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just thinking on it. It made me think of Southampton, because obviously Southampton have had an interesting kind of uh, journey in the last kind of five, six years since they got in the Premier League. Ownership uh, has, has potentially changed at times. But uh, they had Pochettino. Obviously, he got scooped up into the sky because he did really well. They, they then had Koeman, who um, also got, you know, a kind of uh, a move up, up the tier uh, very quickly. And eventually, he landed on Hasenhutl. And that's interesting because he had a long run, you know, that kind of capped off with the the nine nil or whatever it was against Leicester, uh, where you could have actually, at some point during that time, you could have thought like maybe his this isn't working, it's not working, he's he's not he's not the right man for the job. Obviously, he had an excellent profile before he came in and looked like a you know a, a top tier kind of like manager or signing for for the club, and then they've stuck they stuck by him and slowly but surely the last kind of like. I don't know, three or four months before the before the break, kind of thing. Uh, his, his team's been playing really good football and look to be greater than the kind of um, the sum of their parts uh, in a way. And yeah, it, you know, you're talking about a club that needs needs to be resilient towards you know man, managerial change and having to having to um, face the fact that if your coaches do well, they're going to disappear. And I think Southampton have somewhat come out the other side and not done too badly they had a lot of hits in the transfer market you go back and look at a Southampton lineup from four or five years ago and it's like oh my god why no wonder this team was like going on the edge of the top four race they had a hell of a lot of good players and um yeah I think they've, they've done quite well to kind of like come out the other end and you know stick by house and hill and, and reap, reap some rewards of a bit of time I also think after the 9-0 was probably a, a bit of a a, a chastening episode for for the, for everyone involved in the team as, as it would be, and being very much kind of like thought, well, I'm just going to go back to the, the things I know best, and they're a hard running, hard pressing team now. And um, stay humble. They've done, they've done <laughs> all right, you know. It's, it's it do you know who's for sale, James? I don't go on. Southampton is for sale. Right, I've got a fiver behind the back of this sofa. We're all gone by them. No, <laughs> slightly down my price range, but yeah, no, Southampton would be yeah. Quite quite a fun club to own, I imagine, from that perspective. What was the thing? If you were running a semi-pro team with limited resources, what one area would you measure and why? Um, yeah, I think. Hmm, 
Semi Pro. Can you? <laughs> I always, I always think you can, you can, you can like tap your local university and get some, um, some kind of students into to help run, run aspects of the club. Collect data, collect your own data. These kind of things. I always think that was a fun idea. Uh, you know, get a computer science guy to come in and and work with your data and things like that. Uh, now that you, now that you work at a company that collects data professionally, is it still like a fun idea to collect data, James? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's no small task. But I think you know, extra credit if you come and come and count all the passes or all the shots for a, for a game or, or just get people videoing the games you know if you haven't got any budget whatsoever you're a really small team and you know you you want to kind of get on the get on the ladder towards uh, you know you having data and just it's it, data is it's not even data it's just information you want information you collect shots out. with some amount of qualifiers right like yeah, that's yeah. the the it's most not, basic place to start it's not hard once you've once you've videoed uh, once you've videoed it you know you can you can build shot locations and shot maps and you can just get an idea of like right okay what kind of shots do we have how was the how were these shots created um you know who was who was, who was taking them who was creating them this is really useful information just just from the get-go and we'll will give you you know more knowledge than just what you can remember by watching it and if yeah if, if you're a, a small small organization or a university team obviously america's a, a good place You've got lots of lots of willing students and sports teams and stuff then you know try and try and integrate these things um i i'm a big fan of that idea de- definitely especially for clubs without any kind of uh, budget and you know semi-pro clubs amateur clubs all this kind of thing and if yeah if you you know if you're running a kids team do it anyway. Collect, collect some data. It's fun. Tell the kids. Tell the kids who had the most shots every week and this kind of thing. And you know, you I know, can tell you that I have done that at the kids level. And you want the the league to be somewhat competitive because otherwise, like you know, they're <laughs> yeah. winning eighteen to nil. That's a lot of shots, and it's not. Yeah, very fun. yeah. All right. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe not your under sixes or something. But, but there's there's probably a sweet spot <laughs> where you can actually come in and and make make it a, make it a fun angle. And I think and uh, yeah, definitely, it's something you could do. Oh, I remember something that? that I forgot to say about the the coming changes to the economy. So uh, I've talked to some other people who are who are pretty up to speed on on the runnings of the clubs and finance and stuff like that. And their guess is that the last ones that will want to sort of realize the the impact of everything will be the agents and the players. And so negotiating new transfer fees will be very challenging in that environment. Not not transfer fees, but wages. Um, uh, negotiating wages will be very tricky uh, because, you know, the agents, everybody's got an anchor and everybody has some idea as to like what was negotiated last go around over the last two, three years. But if the if the whole world is looking at an economic shock, then those anchors have been cast to a sea and nobody ever wants to go backwards in wages. But it's entirely possible that you'll see that happen. All right. What else we got here? Uh, What's the next question? Let's move on. We're normally way oh. slicker when we're actually recording this properly. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> this is a good one. Okay. Yeah. This. This again. This. I'm t- again teeing these up at you, really. But which young player, stats-wise, did you have the highest hopes for that never materialised? Now I, I was just sitting there thinking, like, I don't know. Uh, and then I remember Destro, Destro from back in like kind of oh 13, god, he was so good. Era, and it was like. This guy just scores goals and is like gets good shots and is is decent. And then he just, I don't know. I was gonna, I was gonna uh, drag up his radar, but it seems like he's played like two games for Bologna this season or something. He's age twenty nine. Uh, so. The image that you sent says seven point one nineties, James, in twelve appearances. Come on. 
That's that's Ian Acho. He was the other one. I'm on about Desha. Oh, that's Kalechi. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize Kalechi, this is Kalechi. Kalechi's I mean, one, and, it, and how how can you say a guy's disappointed when he's like the backup striker for a top four Premier League team? Not it's not like, only that, but like if you look at his total expected goals and expected goals assisted output, it's still really good, right? Not and, bad. Yeah, he hasn't hasn't played much, but he had that nice little run at uh, kind of in in February, and it was quite funny because the, the analytics practitioners of the world of Twitter have long been on the Ian Acho horse and the the naysayers have always beat, beat uh, such types <laughs> I could include myself among them over the head when when he hasn't hasn't really hit and um, yeah he had this great run in February and everyone's like yes he's come good it's finally age yeah. 23 and Ian Acho's uh, uh, come good he, I still think he's a pretty decent player a pretty useful talent I don't know maybe, maybe it's hard. he's one of these players that maybe he's hard to find a position for he's not an out and out striker and he's not a kind of I mean do number 10s even exist anymore you know what I mean but like you know w- what's his position and, and Leicester have got quite 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 a strict kind of uh, system, I think, that potentially is uh, not really uh, necessarily suited to him. But, but at age 23, looking at this output, you'd be pretty excited by it, right? <laughs> it's fine, really, isn't it? I mean, that, okay. That, that's the thing. D- so let me talk about Destro because I have some some insight on this one. Um, like Destro was so exciting. Like before he moved to Roma, he was he was like really interesting as a young player, and then he had that one season at Roma where he was basically on fire. And then knowing some people behind the scenes there, uh, he had not a great rehab uh, program from injuries. He was possibly not the most, um, what, what would we call Wayne Rooney? Uh, the most dedicated individual with regard to his physical health. Um, and, and you know, maybe, maybe he got a little jaded. I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, it kind of came to the other side of, of that period and, you know, lost as much interest, maybe put on a little extra weight and was not the electric player that he was in, in sort of his first two, three years in Serie A. He was really, really exciting. And, and uh, you know, that one kind of fell apart. This is actually a good time to, to switch tacks, though. Um, ooh, yeah, I'm not not trying to go ahead here. What I wanted to bring up was this, the spreadsheets that I, I sent to James. So <clears throat> if you're on the Twitch chat, we're taking a, a, a backwards glance into um, 19, or sorry, five years ago. And I'm going to see if I can bounce this up and, and zoom it a bit. Um, let's see if we can go to 200% so people can see it a little better. All right. So, yeah, uh, this is from March 23rd of 2015. And what it is, is I think at the end of February, we realized that we... At Brentford, we're going to, like Frank uh, McParland was not going to be around to be director of football, and uh, Warbs was not going to get a new deal. And so we realized that we needed to do recruitment for the summertime. Um, and the recruitment at that time was, was kind of a funky thing because we were still right in the playoffs. Um, oh, the screen is black. Sorry. I, I don't know how to, to make it not black. So this is a problem. Um, Next time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do this I. It's good, though, because you can just talk about the good players on the list and not the ones that aren't so good. No, but that, I wanted to, <laughs> to make it, like, the less good. Like, that's El the. Messi. Yep, he's good. Yeah, um... he is. He's not on there, though. We couldn't afford him. <laughs> Yeah, you did. I, I did see a list that you you, know, uh, you showed me earlier. That was it was it was. Uh, well, I can't remember what it said. What, what did it say? Great, but unlikely. I yeah, that was, I thought it was cool. It's like we really like these players, but it's unlikely. And you had uh, Pascal Gross and Hakim Ziyech on that list. So I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Um, like we knew that we were probably going to lose Andre Gray in the summertime. 
we needed a bunch of center forwards. And on this list, as of March 23rd, we had Mark Uth as a, as a number one. We had Vaclav Kadlec as a number one who we really liked. Uh, he was, I think, at Sparta Prague. Uh, Borja Baston uh, was on there. Yoel Pohanpalo, which was somewhat unlikely. He was a low knee, like 20 years old, blowing up in Bundesliga 2. Uh, also, we had Sebastian Haller on there. Um, Luke Castaños, very unlikely for us. But Haller, we, we thought we actually might have a good, decent chance to get. There's also a guy named Kleindienst, who was in Bundesliga 3 and would have been available for peanuts. But we couldn't quite convince him. And a couple of other scruffers that like we had been looking at. and like You start with a big list, effectively. You start with this, this list of guys... And and then you start scouting them and see who's better, who's worse. Like the center forward ones, you know, we this was just at the beginning of when we we'd gotten started. Scouting was starting to p- bring stuff in. Uh, left wide forward, we have Kareem Onisiwo. Uh, and I've told, I think, the story on this uh, before. Uh, basically, <clears throat> uh, Onisiwo was at Mattersburg and he should have been like peanuts. He had one year left on his uh his deal like Mattersburg I think had just come up uh from the the second Austrian league or whatever uh, Austria Erste um and <laughs> we tried to go back a number of times to have a discussion about negotiating with him and basically the the owner of uh Mattersburg who I guess has been occasionally a prickly individual to deal with told us they would never sell us this player like ever mm-hmm. and we were like whoa that's really weird because we were offering like good value for that league and uh, and what happened was they never sold that player to anybody because he got his it was like a, a one year extension that had to be um, signed off correctly or whatever and he got avoided in court and then he was able wow. to move to the to Bundesliga one in yeah, Germany. Yeah, bloody hell, that's, <laughs> that's quite something. He was so to go to his word in, uh, at least. <laughs> I mean, so, so what, they were what not was wrong. Going on in the background there? <laughs> This Klein, were, Kleindienst, I've not heard of this guy, but uh, he, seems yeah. have, he seems to have landed at, at the level that you've pegged him at. He's placed for Heidenheim at the moment. Who are he was like 6'3", 6'4", um, surprisingly good with his feet. Uh, we had a couple of Bundesliga 3 guys on the on the list. Uh, so, yeah, left wide forward Onisiwo and then uh, Mohamed El Yunusi, who ended up at Southampton and mm. Basel and whatever, and, and pretty good. So these were guys that we were looking at in, in the start of 2015. Uh, right wide forward was... Uh, Steven Berghaus, who I really liked, he ended up going to Watford. I thought like he would be kind of a, a full-featured player on the uh, right side. Some guy named Jan Baksh, uh, he was at NEC Nijmegen, I think, at that time. Oh, and right. Before he kind again, of blew up a bit. Yeah. yeah, and then we were looking at Fred Onyedinma at Millwall, um, but couldn't quite make that one happen. And like the fee that they wanted versus how good we thought he was didn't make sense. Hey, uh, you, talking you, of that, have we, uh, there was something that was all over Twitter. That, you know this Sunderland Till I Die thing that's been on yeah, yeah. Amazon? Uh, it was Will Gregg or something. I, I don't know the, the whole facts. I only kind of like read bits of Twitter. But so there was a thing saying someone, one guy there was like, oh, don't bid more than a million a quarter for Will Gregg. Yes. And then, and then some, someone else, presumably with larger pockets and uh, the ability to sign checks, went and bought him for like three or four million quid or something. Yeah. It's like, what the hell's going on there? So if you're thinking that football still lacks efficiencies <laughs> in certain ways, I think that very much very much kind of uh, shows that you do every now and again you do hear a kind of crazy story like that about football where where like just there was a misunderstanding or something and the, the money was out by literally millions and yeah and, and uh, you know something 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 got mixed up and, and you just think oh my god did nobody intervene nobody like stop these things happening no they didn't 
Anyway. So yeah, and, and at Brentford at the time, like we had a lot of stuff that we didn't know we we were 100% on. Like how who was going to turn over? I We didn't know. And we needed to, to get a little bit younger. Like the midfield um, was slow. Like Jonathan Douglas like, looked like he, he Brentford barely had legs. <laughs> Yeah, at the time. Yeah, I was um, going to say, they, they, well, they, they've achieved that, certainly. <laughs> yes, and then Tumani was there, or as we call him, Tooms, and uh, and Nikos made up a song like, don't pass the ball to Tumani, <laughs> which, oh dear. Uh, oh dear. yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, but we didn't know. Uh, so, like, also on this list, um, left backs, we had Amavi uh, rated at a one. He ended up being part of that fateful crew that um crashed good, into the rocks at aston villa good good article wasn't there on the athletic last week i think it was uh that, that kind of described that situation and that the, the villa the villa 15 16 was was um was a fascinating uh story anyway because you could see from the outside we, we knew they had sam green who used to work for ops that was working there and such um and there was obviously some some kind of like statistical thought behind a lot of their signings they were managed by tim sherwood from the outside it looked like that was an interesting combination and it didn't quite work out but yeah i think i think something that maybe uh, the the article hit on quite heavily was that the fact that um these you know these the players that they signed you know turned out on the whole to be very good players and uh and again this is sort of something that nikos has mentioned in the past like they signed them you know three or four years ago and before they were the good players that they've become you know they were young players and you know you you, you You've got to get that balance right between signing potential and signing players that will actually, you know, impact the team. And obviously, when you're a Premier League team, the last thing you want to do is uh, risk risk relegation. But yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, setup there because they did sign a few more kind of like seasoned professionals, which sounded like they came out of the uh, kind of came out of uh, Sherwood's Sherwood's brain. But yeah, it was an in- interesting kind of interesting kind of blend there. Uh, and you know, even even there have been various uh, starts and stops with regards different clubs and stats and transfers and stuff obviously uh you know if you go back to liverpool like eight or nine years um you know there, there was stuff going on there that you know maybe maybe put people off a little bit um and yeah i think nowadays people are making probably shrewder decisions and smarter decisions but there have been a few fits and starts along the way and even uh, teams that have done generally quite solid uh, work uh, it hasn't necessarily worked out on the pitch for various reasons if you know if you're going to get this kind of partial buy-in uh, where you're allowed to buy some players but does the coach want to play them uh, you know that kind of thing happens happens a, a few times and you know you obviously want to want to try and minimize minimize the effects get 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 it all joined up everyone you know that's all yeah no it's it's true and one of the things that matthew used to say is like there is absolutely no point in me buying a player that you know warbs or anybody else the head coach doesn't want to play like it's just a wasted amount of money and and then that that goes up against kind of the billy bean strategy where you're like you get rid of all the players that you don't want to see him play and then you only end up with good players that you don't mind like which ones they pick <laughs> you, so. you, you have 14 players now <laughs> this is our squad um <laughs> play them <laughs> so mid- midfield, we knew we needed to rebuild. And the number one attacking midfielder that we had on this list was some guy named Hakim Ziyech. Uh, this was back in March of 2015. Um, the second guy was Bessar Halimi. And we actually agreed a deal with him. And he was supposed to get on a plane. And I think it was about 400,000 euros, which at the time was maybe like 250, 280,000 pounds. Uh, and he just didn't get on the plane. His dad convinced him not to not to move to 
to Brentford, which uh, was brutal because, like, again, a guy that nobody knew of and was in the Bundesliga 3, and, like, he was a small guy, but great balance, great passer, and a real little dogged um, sort of terrier in, in midfield. So we really liked him. It's a classic It's a classic thing that people, you know, fans just maybe don't understand is, is that sometimes a transfer goes wrong because of a really stupid reason like that, you know, that his dad talks him out of it or... Or you know the, the the wife refused to move or whatever whatever it's not everybody has reasons, stories like this in human, football though human reasons aren't they this is the, thing, the the human reasons why people don't want to go to X Y Z and whatever and it's um yeah it's it's, it's easy to kind of like it's it's easy just to, to just to kind of like to detach yourself from it and think you know our oh, football trading is football manager it's just chess pieces moving around a board but it's not it's lives it's people it's humans and if if you've worked in football like everybody's got a story or two or five or 50 like this though and it's it's really quite funny uh there's a cabano uh john terrell we wanted to come back and uh that one didn't happen because marinus took too long to get back to them and he basically felt like well these guys don't really want me so we ended up going to birmingham we really like terrell he's a clever kid uh is is i think his body kind of let him down a little bit um, Niskin's Kibano was a potential one, but we couldn't actually figure out um, how to get him a work permit. On the defensive midfielder side, we had Makocho very high. We really liked both Makocho and Vajinovic um, from the Eredivisie. Uh, the guy that I most wanted to assign was Ule Selnes, and he was up at Rosenborg at the time. He's a left footer, probably 6'3", 6'4", and, and great passing range, absolutely ridiculous passing range. He ended up going to San Etienne. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still there or not, or if he ended up going to China or something like that. And then Jonas Meffert was fairly high on that list too. Uh, and then like for sort of more dynamic ones, we had Alexander Ring, who unfortunately ended up with some injury problems. And we were looking at, at Ayub, who I think was at uh, Utrecht, and that one never really was interesting. The center backs were, were pretty exciting though. We had Manuel Golda, uh, who uh, had a degenerative condition i think uh, and we didn't end up going through with that we had uh Vili orban uh, have you heard of him before yeah 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 so so or- orban was our number one uh, along with dominic heinz uh, we didn't think we could get heinz because i think his agent had initially just been like nah we'll be fine um yohan barbe we we liked and um, i thought he was he was a pretty good performer for us overall and then a guy named bernardo who i have forgotten the story about so that was that was march 23rd and then you skip forward and you look at April and you see like how your scouting list can dramatically change in like, you know, a single month. Uh, uh, so like the left wide forwards were still the same, but the center forwards, like we were just churning through guys, like trying to find ones that we could afford that would be able to come. Uh, Philip Hoffman goes on here and there was a lot of disagreement about whether he was good enough or not, but you know, he scored some beautiful goals. So I uh, didn't realize that he didn't like to work that hard. And that was one reason why he didn't work out for us. Uh, Mitchell Tevreda was on this list as a, as a potential number one. And the, the issue for us was basically like, did we want to play a style where he used his head? Because he was generating something like four and a half shots a game with his head. <laughs> and I'm just like, um, yeah, that's uh, hmm. that stands hmm. out, Ted. That's, that's a <laughs> lot of shots. <laughs> and, you know, 80% of them were with his head. 
And and we could not figure out how to make that work. It was the most baffling. Oh, someone says that uh, that I'm narrating my my uh, FM save. Yes, that's what I'm doing. That's exactly what we've got here. Uh, <laughs> uh, Haller is still on there. Jurchin showed up. Uh, he was playing for Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, we were kind of early on the Salzburg train. And then there's this there's this capital letters uh, that has like a four rank, and his name is Laval dude. And that was one where uh, like Rob and I. Um, uh, disagreed on on sort of the quality of him. He had very few uh, very few shots, but it, it ended up being Seru Garasi. Uh, we were kind of looking at whether we could afford oh, him right, or not. Yeah. So he ended up playing uh, slightly higher, but I'm I'm still not sure if he's that good, which you know kind of tells you a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, no, uh, he probably fit. He could have probably fit somewhere, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. So a month later, we now know that like some of these guys are super unlikely unless we actually go up. So Pascal Gross, uh, we were enormously high on, and he was he was the number one guy that we would have liked to have signed. Uh, but I think his team English Dot actually went up, and we did not go up, and so like that became impossible. But I, I showed a, a chart ages ago, basically where Pascal Gross was in terms of everybody else in Europe uh, passing the ball into the box. And he was this wizard at it, both from set pieces and otherwise. That was something we were excited about. Ziyech, we couldn't get. Orban, we couldn't get. Vijinovic, Haller, Kasanios, all those guys were like, if we got um, promoted, that was the only way it was going to happen. Anyway, this is all a very long way of coming around to the, answer the question that was originally on the sheet, which is, who is the player that the young player that has sort of made you the saddest that you really wanted to work out. And my answer is probably Josh McEachern. Like We were super excited about Josh signing and he broke his foot blocking a shot or somebody blocked his shot uh, in early training. And like that just set off this series of events where he never quite got healthy. And then when he was healthy, like he was good and his timing was great defensively, but like you have to maintain your health in order for like to be that type of player. His passing was really good. He moved the ball up the pitch, but yeah, it just like never quite worked out. And then I think he got tired of, you know, the constant cycle of not quite being in the team and then having to rebuild your fitness and stuff like that. So that was really, really tough and frustrating. Um, Okay, so did you have one, by the way? Uh, I started this by saying about Destro. But, I mean, I wasn't having great excitement soon, but I, I was literally trying to think of, like, you know, young players that you thought were going to really hit and um, and didn't quite. Um, I don't know. I think uh, probably in the early days I was, I was less interested in kind of, you know, you did it professionally. Like, this was your job. You had to care about players. Uh, I was I was still just writing stories about the Premier League back in this era because it was good fun. <laughs> so so I don't think I've got that kind of like that that same kind of like long term kind of heritage of, of really diving into uh, into stats to to look for young talent. Um, you know, it's obviously something we do you know, professionally now. But uh, you know, if you go back to the early days where you know uh, you know we were writing for Stats Bomb and just you know kind of following following numbers and just being interested in it all, I keep thinking I should do something like this. I should I should uh, I feel like we're we're far, we're far enough away that you could do like a, not an oral history of like the the funny old days, but you know some kind of some kind of review of uh, the the names and faces of uh, like kind of early stats. Uh, the little kind of like football analytics Twitter that built up and all the little blogs that people used to follow and were must-read blogs and all this kind of thing. Anyway, I've uh, completely diverted here, but that's the whole point of these kind of Twitch stream things, I'm sure. Let's go. Let's move on. Uh, what was the next question? Oh yeah, so this this is this has perplexed me, and I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drive this in a different direction because I because I thought it was intriguing. 
The question is, of players loaned out by, their, by top Premier League parent club, uh, which have shown the ability to challenge next year for a place in their respective first-team squad? Now, instinctively, you'd say, like, oh, there must be a bunch of Chelsea loanees out there. There are. Uh, but but um, the the ones that, that could challenge uh, next year for a place in their respective first team squad, they don't really exist. I look through I look through the list. I'm not really going to say Danny Drinkwater's coming back for another season. Uh, like Baba Rackman's still on Chelsea's books now, and this was crazy. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, there aren't a Matt Miazga. Like there aren't there, there aren't any of these kind of uh, you know Tammies out there. Uh, I looked looked at the top six just to like see who is there, and basically a few players that are like. Slightly interesting, maybe. I mean, they probably aren't going to come at the but le- aren't all going to come at the level. Um, but they may end up, you know, very decent professionals. Players like Nat Phillips, who's at Stuttgart from Liverpool, uh, Mavropanis, who's at Nuremberg from Arsenal, uh, William Saliba, who's at Sanetti, and he's very young. He's only like 19, so obviously he's uh, he's uh, you know been purchased and loaned out with a view to coming back. So he's the one person you could say is on loan from a top six club right now. That it's like right, yeah, he's on loan with a view to being. Uh, the future of this team. And then, well, the hang on the the kid from Leeds uh, or at Leeds right now from Brighton. He's super right. Like, don't disagree with that one at all. Who's, are we talking top uh, Premier League club? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I think he might actually be good enough to make a top Premier League club. Yeah, no, no. I've I've, I've heard very good, very good things about him. I, I mean, I didn't extend. I didn't have time to look at the whole Premier League. But the the point that I'm kind of dry, driving at really is it feels like in the last maybe I don't know eighteen months to two years or something that uh, the certainly the big six are k- keeping. Uh, they're decent, talented players closer to home and actually integrating them in the squad. I mean, Lampard at Chelsea is the, is the absolute perfect example of this. He obviously had a, uh, a transfer ban to, to deal with, but you know he's brought in four or five players uh, th- from kind of like youth youth roles into the squad. And yeah, maybe maybe more and more. Man United as well have got you know a few few younger players that have. Um, filled out squad positions you know the, the kind of like 19 20 20 first mem- member of your squad isn't a journeyman on 30 grand a week to sit on the bench or whatever it is he's a it's potentially a young player and i i just feel looking at how many young players aren't out on loan when maybe at a point in time they potentially were or it just feels like there's a real lack of the the kind of player that's gonna gonna come back next season or maybe the season after and, and step up straight into the first team i don't know i don't i, I think i think another thing that happened hard about it go on i think another thing that happened is is that we have seen the very best players immediately step into Champions League roles, mm. and and that I you know basically it, it was a little bit about what you said. Like Chelsea's was enforced; they've had to play some of their their young players quite a bit, and most of them have succeeded. Like they still are in the in the top four of the Premier League, even though it's like not happening and presumably will not be cancelled. Um, but I think that that what we've realized is that these young elite players, that especially the ones that have come out of like the English national team setup, which is often City and um, uh, Chelsea's group, but you know Holland is another one, super young. Uh, Jaden Sancho's there, uh, who was City Watford originally, I guess. Like those guys are immediately good enough to step in and play real minutes. Like you don't need to like put them through the packing order. You don't need to blood them that much. At, at 19, 20 years old, these guys are already some of the best players in the world. And I think that has been a big change that's happened over the last three years and, and would not have even been thought about that much before unless out of necessity. Someone's mentioned Dean Henderson in the chat and I'd completely forgotten about him. But yeah, yeah. of a top six loanee right now, who's going to like have a 
a, a top tier career. I think he's he's probably the biggest lock there is. So yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I, I missed it because I did I did look at this and he's like, yeah, of course, Dean Henderson. He should be England starter for Euros, and he uh, he should become the number one for Manchester United in the next. 12 to 24 months whether either of those will happen we do not know yeah it's, <laughs> it's funny isn't it because it's yeah there, there are two things going on there obviously De Gea exists and he's still like one of the world's top keepers yeah even even if you think he's declining in some way he's still you know one of the world's top keepers and earns a lot of money and uh you know will probably retain his slot in the Man United uh, team for for some while and then the other thing is um obviously the, the kind of like residual glory of England's semi-final run uh, in the World Cup means that Pickford probably keeps his slot uh, for the near future. I I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's he's looking like he's gonna he's gonna get swapped out particularly. But yeah, I think Henderson's done plenty enough. You know, a really solid season in the in um, in goal for Sheffield United to to knock on the door. And it's not as if there's been you know did, England goalkeeper used to be a job for life. You, you'd start out at about twenty five and retire at forty. But um, like you know. Recent, <laughs> It was honestly Peter Shilton, like Ray Clements used to used to rotate with him. David Seaman was in there for years. It, it I remember just, that. It was just it was just as how it you know how it how it kind of went. Um, and in re- more recent years, it's it's been a far more of a fluid kind of position. And I still th- I still think it you know should be. And maybe, maybe Henderson's Henderson's someone who can step up and be be England's number one in the future seasons. Um, Pickford, yeah. I don't think should be starting. By the way, like I, we have him as a pretty average shot stopper. We don't think he's particularly good. Uh, the uh, distribution is fine, but not better. Like I would definitely flip Henderson out because, like, especially in a short term. I look, England did not actually effectively attack in the last World Cup, so all this nonsense about being able to play out from the back and a little bit dubious. Um, and then you know you're 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 in a, a knockout competition. Being able to to save goals matters more than others. Not to say that he has not saved some goals, but we think it's there really are others that are possibly a little better quality. The England, yeah, they had such a unique, like abysmal from open play styles <laughs> in the last World Cup, and then they then. Uh, a couple of players have you know come through some like Sancho and stuff. You got you know Sancho Sterling with with a, one of the strikers in uh, in their Rashford as well as an option and then a kind of like a four three three kind of I don't know probably going a little bit far to say it's looking a little little bit Liverpool but they've got the players to play this kind of uh, play this kind of formation and um, yeah that seems to have happened but the the cold question of the goalkeeper seems to have lagged a little bit. Uh, in comparison, uh, right. So, any any other football chat you want to make, Ted, or uh, and or can we move on to to more pop culture? <laughs> Are you excited to talk about pop culture all of a sudden? Is I that what I hear? It. It's fine. It's fine. I, I don't. David Regan, he's written for the site. Uh, uh, just last minute before we went live, <laughs> said said ever since James watched any films during the during the lockdown. I think I don't think I have. I tried to watch Tiger King and hated it. But that's not a film, James. <laughs> <laughs> I watched old peep shows the last couple of nights. They've been good. I do enjoy those. Them. Are good. That's true. Very funny. But yeah, we got uh, the okay. wire. Where are you at on the wire? Uh, so I got You're through. Not doing it, are you? <laughs> you quit on me, man. I did. Well, you. <laughs> let's explain how this happened. I, we were going to try and do this in four episode chunks, and James, I hate everything good. York decided that man i can't wait for four episode chunks like i need to watch shit now <laughs> so no, <what's> gonna happen. <laughs> but uh i i have watched it 
you know, a few times before and I've done some episode recaps, um, catching up on it as well. So like, let's talk, James, like, what do you want to, what do you want to stick into? Well, first series, I've now finished the first series, right? And if, if you kind of look around, uh, you know, there'll be people listening in who, who may have watched The Wire, all of it, and may have just watched some of it, and maybe maybe recently, maybe while while we're watching it, I don't know. But the first series, I thought it was excellent. It was really, it was really very, very good. Um, it kind of rattled through and wrapped up a bit quick um, after after the shooting, the, the the you know the kind of notable shooting. Uh, happened uh, about three episodes from the end. It Dude, you're, like you was... are allowed to spoil this. It, it, <laughs> it is a show that. that aired in 2002. <laughs> we are past the threshold of spoilers. I can't remember the character name. What's her name? What's her name? Griggs? Briggs? Kima, yeah. Kima, that's it. Yeah, she got shot. Uh, and uh, it's funny, I watched the whole, watching the whole of this program, I've had various like deja vu moments. I must have watched the odd, odd episode like in the distant past and completely forgotten about it or something. But um, that episode kind of like came back, came back to me. I felt like I think I've seen this before. But yeah, I watched it thinking it was going to be like this this whole story arc of like everyone in the first series was going to extend out over five series. And of course, that isn't the case. No, people start dying really quite quick at the end of it. I mean, it's quite funny the the drugs they, guys. The drugs guys are like, yeah. It's like they kind of know what we're doing. It's like, yeah, no wonder. Like, about 13 people have died in the last fortnight or something. It's really kind of kicking off left, right, and center. And they keep in busting the game. you every five minutes. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it felt like it rattled to a close a little bit quickly. Um, I think what's really interesting is is that, like, I mean, there are likable characters in this. And, and that's actually, like, hmm. the writing is, is so slick and crisp. And they do take some experiments and stuff like that. But, like, the... There are two sets of sort of dislikable characters that aren't quite villains, but are certainly like not good. And the police hierarchy is way up on that list of not good people in in this particular series. Like you know Rawls and um, uh, what's his name? Not Daniels, but the guy who's the major. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so like there's there's this whole series of guys that are they're just trying to shut things down because they don't like that, how they got into this investigation. And then there's this judge that's like, look, uh, we have we have lots of reasons to want this to continue. And then obviously there are different people in the drugs trade that end up being somewhat villainous, but also like really damn cool characters. Rawls is funny though, he just hates McNulty. <laughs> You're a piece of shit, McNulty. <laughs> but I know it wasn't your fault. This isn't your fault. And if it was your fault, I would take no greater pleasure than to tell you it was your fault. And stuff like that. Oh, that was real funny. Yeah, but, so obviously the bunk is amazing, but like, you yeah. know, Landsman's also pretty damn fun. Like, I, I enjoy Landsman's sort of in betweenness and his, his joke playing and stuff like that. So he's the, the, the guy that's in charge of, yeah. I think, the sergeant in charge of McDulty and Bunk. Yeah. Um, so someone asked me or asked us, like, what is your favorite character so far? It's probably McNulty, just because it's it's just he's just fun and it it kind of it orbits around him. I think really, um, I, yeah, that's how I felt the first. I think that the first couple of three episodes, I felt like it was like Jimmy McNulty's world, and maybe that changes as it goes through the five series. But like that, that's what it felt like to me. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's a complete mess, and he's quite entertaining in that way, and just does dumb shit. And but he's real smart, and you know. Solves solves problems and he's really shrewd. So the yeah. the description, his own worst enemy, I think, is very accurate yeah, yeah, for yeah. for Jimmy. 
Yeah, no. So I I, I identify with McNally. What, McNally who, who, what about you from the first series? Who did you find uh, particularly? You know, because obviously you've got the heritage of the of the other series, but the it, it's hard character? for me. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to just go back to the first series and mm. and make those choices. Uh, yeah, obviously, like McNulty, you and I have talked offline about how there are a lot of similarities between that character and myself in certain <laughs> ways uh, <laughs> that, that are not necessarily useful for me to discuss. Don't, um, tweet, don't tweet the link to the uh, to the Twitch stream yet, Ted. We don't even know if it works. That kind of thing. <laughs> Already tweeted it, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, you know. well, we haven't got a picture. So this, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wrong to have these moments of caution. You know, I just... had a picture on the desktop earlier. I don't know <laughs> like why that's not working out. <laughs> Uh, I apologize. I'm not very good at this. I tell you uh, what, maybe... I, I can't. In, I can't in my head work out how like that first series of The Wire, which is very, very good, uh, is like regarded as like the worst series of The Wire because and and how it changes the you know the aspects of the city that it looks like it looks at in each city. I re- I find it really hard to understand how uh, like how that is true. You know, Let me push back what, a little what, bit on that. I don't know where you good. read. I don't know where you read, but it's not the worst series of The Wire. Uh, the What's last the series, season? the last series is almost certainly the worst series, right. and and there are reasons for that, and I understand why that happened. Uh, it's Same not bad. To Breaking Bad, the last series of Breaking Bad, garbage in my view. I know not many people think that. I think it is season okay. four way better. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so the last series is is quite bad. Uh, well, in terms of the wire, anyway, um, and the second series is somewhat controversial. So our friend Skip Jack on uh, uh, of of the Twitter world and also of the Wheeler Dealer Radio world, um, Spurs fan, he loves the second series, and I think that there are lots of redeeming qualities about the second series, but it is a significant departure uh, to the other four. So at some point, if you can show some vague amount of discipline, James, uh, maybe we can do that on a on a four episode by four episode thing. However, I think that we're going to have to get back um, during this set of podcast recordings, you know, talking to, about football as we do, but also potentially talking about terrible movies, which is where you really shine. <laughs> well, it's hard to find enough terrible movies to watch, isn't it? I watched Groundhog Day the other day. That's really good. That's there you go, David Rudin. That's something I watched Groundhog Day, uh, which is of course what we're all living right now. <laughs> so uh, I think there's a there's a film on Netflix that I'm going to enforce a watch from the two of us. I have not seen this, and it involves Ryan Reynolds and uh, a bunch of action. <laughs> oh, speaking of who the hell is this guy? <laughs> do you know who Michael B. Jordan is? Uh, do I? I know the name. <laughs> I think. Tell me. Have you seen Creed? Mm, no. Have you seen uh, Black Panther? No. Okay. There's a lot of other movies I could ask about, but those would be two of the more likely. I mean, I knew you hadn't seen Black Panther. I had to ask for everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have not seen that. <laughs> but but well, Michael what, what does... What do we care about him for? What's, what's the He's story? Wallace. Oh, right. Got yeah. And he Poor goes on Wallace. to become... I'm, there are many guys that go on to become significant actors, but Michael B. Jordan is actually one of the biggest actors in the world right now. What do they whack Wallace for? It's just... Ah, it's fucked up, man. Honestly. So mean. I like Wallace. Nah, Who love didn't Wallace. like Wallace? Nice guy. The, I think, Falling in with the wrong crowd, tough. You know, looked after his kids or whoever's kids they were. Yeah, they weren't his kids. Right, just some kids. Sweetheart. And then and then gets whacked. Who was looking yeah. after those kids when he was at his nan's? That was never explained. 
one thing that was never explained in 13 <laughs> episodes. Sorry about that, James. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty more, but uh, yeah. Kind of fun. Like, why do, why do women keep going back to Jimmy McNulty? I mean, maybe that's to maybe That's a great question and <laughs> one that probably does not have a good answer. That We're going to have to leave that one as like mystical realism there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, good fun. Right, Chad, I don't know if we've got anything else to hit on. Uh, we've we've done like an hour. I was reading on like what Twitch. You should stream for more than two hours. But I imagine that involves when you're doing something and you've got pictures and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and we haven't got we haven't got that. We're just chatting. So, so should we do this again? We will we will bring pictures, yeah. uh, and that will be valuable. And uh, I will figure out how to correctly get the resolution so that one can do that ahead of time. There was football um, chatting here though, and I, you know I'm I'm sure definitely. I mean, like I'm looking at the view account here, right? There were more more viewers or listeners uh, when there was football chat than there was when there was wire chat. So just word of warning. Uh, as if we have ever in the history of this podcast cared about what the listeners actually want us to do. There's no damn football on. I mean, Christ. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't lingered on coronavirus at least. So that's, you know, that's, that's keep, giving a break to people, a little bit of breathing room on that. Uh, yeah. So Okay. And on that note, thank you very much for... Uh, going with this experiment uh for those of you who listen to it live and for those of you listening to it via your favorite podcast service uh, hopefully it turned out as well as can be expected take care cheers buddy